0: Thank you, Adrian, so much for the invitation and for you all uh, for for welcoming me tonight. Um, Matt, I also want to say thanks for putting that photo up earlier. Um, My youth group photo would have been from 2002 instead of 1992. I think we're about a decade apart. She told me your age earlier. Um, but the photo would have been almost exactly the same. So youth groups really don't change. My youth group was in Oklahoma in the middle of the U.S. and yours was over here. Like, youth groups are pretty much the same everywhere. And they form us, those of us who have an opportunity to have that experience, they form us in ways that, that go even decades then beyond. Um, and I'm really thankful then also that Toby and Joe, two of my youth group, guys are here with me tonight from Cambridge. Toby and Joe, thanks so much um, for being here. Um, Our youth group photo then would have been from 2014, 15, something like that, yeah, and it would have been slightly less grainy because it was shot on an iPhone in 2015, but the photo would have been essentially the same, like some bad hairdos, some, you know, the fashion's actually coming back around from 1992, so my 2002 photo looks abysmal. Um, but it's really good to be with you all um, tonight. And Neil, thank you so much for painting and also for setting up my talk tonight, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to what Neil said just a moment ago. Um, but let's start with John chapter 1. Um, I'm going to read from John chapter 1, which I think will be on the screen, but I could pull up on my phone if I need to. Here it comes. So, I'm going to read from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. It's going to be in the NIV. If you want to pull it up on your phone or your tablet, or if you've got a Bible with you, um, please feel free to turn to it if you'd like to. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What happens when you close your eyes? What do you see? What do you feel? What images from the last few minutes are still playing in your mind? What frames from the week's highlight reel have stuck with you? What snatches of memories from your life will sneak their way back into your vision even when you clench your eyes shut so hard you could throw punches with them? Here's another way of asking this question. What lives in your darkness Our theme tonight is the light of the world, but we can't really talk about light unless we're willing to talk about darkness. This is where Neil has helped me out. Some of us are okay standing in the shadows. Some of us are comfortable with darkness, but even if you've become a little comfortable with darkness, there's something in that darkness that makes us afraid. Now, I can't really talk to you as a preacher unless I give you a little bit of myself, unless I tell you a little bit about myself that has to do with some research I'm doing about preaching, but I can't just drop in as a guest preacher and then give you something and you take it away. It's not how it works. Preaching has to be a two-way street or a 17-way street or something. It's relational. Sorry, that's my dissertation, and I'll not go off on that anymore. But... I'm going to break every rule of speaking and try to combine introducing myself with sharing with you a little bit of my darkness. I'm really pleased that my family is here tonight. Um, my wife, Brittany, whom Adrian already introduced to you a little bit, and my children, Owen and Afton, are here Um very glad for them to be with me. Um, in, our, in our church that we've been in for the last five years, um, the kids often go out during the sermon, so it's actually one of the few times that my kids, at least, will hear me um, speak. Um, so we're a family of, of four, and part of my darkness is a constant fear about the three of them and about our life together. I fear for how my kids will be treated at school. I fear for the darkness I know happens when they shut their eyes. I fear for the time when death comes for any of us. That fear lives in my darkness. Um, I'm also, as Adrian mentioned, and you can probably tell by my accent, not from here. I'm, I'm, I'm from America. Some of you at least are used to a, sort of some kind of hybrid accent from Adrian as well. <laughs> mine, mine is uh, slightly less hybrid. Mine's a little more American. I'll give Adrian that credit. Um, but... My family and I spent six years in Cambridge, and so my accent is often hard to place. Um, I get Canada sometimes, which um, makes me feel good inside, because part of my darkness is this idea that being a Christian from America who sometimes carries a label of evangelical, I think there's no way I will connect, be accepted, or belong in lots of other places around the world. Never mind non-Christian spaces, because they'll just kind of reject me outright sometimes. I've been a pastor for 11 years now. Three different church settings. Most recently for five years in South Florida, um, in a church context that was really life-giving to me. Had an amazing experience the lead pastor who I looked up to, a church community that had welcomed us and belonged. But then part of my darkness is leaving that place and wondering if there will be another place like that. Will there be another place to accept me? Will there be another place where my family will belong? Will there be another context of ministry that will be life-giving? Will it, like sometimes be life-sucking. And as Adrian mentioned, we are in the process of moving. So we've actually left South Florida and are not really returning to South Florida. We've gone sort of 4,000 miles in the wrong direction um, here to England for a week or two because we've got friends and things we want to do and see. And Brittany's um, leading a conference in a couple of weeks. Um, And then we, we fly back to the States only to pick up a car and start driving to Vancouver, British Columbia, which is... So far from here, I don't even know how many miles, but it's, it's, about, it's about 6,000 miles we're going to drive from South Florida all the way to Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, and in the process of that moving, then lots of darkness comes up for me. More fear about where we're going, about the unknown, particularly for me, it's a fear about leaving a place that I felt I belonged, but also a place where I had purpose and employment, work that was life-giving, and going to a place where I don't have that yet, hoping that it's there, trusting that it'll be there. But that not knowing brings up a lot of darkness for me. John's gospel is different from Matthew and Luke in the way that it tells the story of Jesus. It doesn't start at Jesus' birth, John's gospel. Now, Mark's gospel also doesn't start with Jesus' birth, but John is very different from Mark as well. John starts way before the birth of Jesus. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was all formless and void. One Old Testament scholar, not Brittany, calls it welter and waste. And darkness hovered over the surface of the deep. This is where John's gospel starts. And John matches the profundity and poetics of his inspiration material with his own poetics. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light Of all humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But it's not just the idea of beginnings that John is pulling together here. There's also a thread of darkness that John has identified, put his finger on, and refused to ignore. Once darkness hovered over the surface of the deep and the word, the capital W, pronounced, let there be light and there was light. Even if we read the Old Testament with New Testament eyes, even if we allow the echoes of John's poetics to resound back into our interpretation of Genesis, even if we believe that that pronouncement of light was one that could not be overcome by darkness, even if all that, that first pronouncement of light did not drive out darkness entirely. Darkness keeps showing up in the story. It's there in Genesis 1, hovering over the surface of the deep. But then the psalmists speak about it, both literally and metaphorically, lamenting the darkness of evil. And then in Isaiah, the prophet warns the people that they are confusing darkness for light. Even in the prophecy about the Messiah, there's an implication that the people have been walking in darkness. And so into the midst of all this darkness steps the light. The word who is God, who was in the beginning, is now and ever will be. And that light, Jesus, exposes our darkness, empathizes with our darkness, and overcomes our darkness. I miss being in Cambridge during these summer months. It's one of the reasons we try to come back in the summertime. The days are so long. There's nice sunshine. We always seem to hit good weather every time we come. I don't know how we do it, but it happens. What I don't miss so much are those extra short winter days, which is why we don't really come back in January often. During the winter months, the sun goes down so early And I remember my family and I often sort of hanging out, eating dinner, it's already dark in the winter months. And then it comes time for the kids to get ready for bed. So it's go to your room, dirty clothes in the basket, put your jammies on. Here's what used to happen when our daughter Afton would take off for her room when she was about four years old she would open the door where the light wasn't turned on, where the curtains were drawn. And she'd immediately shut the door again and run back to us. Too dark, too dark, too dark. So I'd say, "Look, if it's too dark, turn the light on. She was tall enough to reach the light switch. It wasn't like she couldn't. Just turn the light on. She would say, no, 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 no. She would refuse to go back to her room until... One of us went with her. Sometimes we need someone else to turn the light on for us. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and that light exposed our darkness. But our darkness comes in all shapes and sizes. So we needed every form of darkness exposed. To this light. And that's what Jesus does. He exposed our loneliness by drawing near, by giving the promise, I will be with you always. He exposed our fear in pity. Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? He exposed our hate by asking us to do the impossible, love one another as he loved us. He exposed our pride by washing our feet. He exposed our limited imaginations by being born a helpless baby in humiliating conditions to a scared young woman. He exposed our preference for the rich by sending the angels first to the shepherds. He exposed our ethnocentrism by crossing the Jordan into Gentile territory. He exposed our classism by eating with prostitutes and tax collectors. He exposed our misogyny when he stooped and lifted the head of a woman expecting to die. Look around you who here has condemned you? He exposed our grudge holding. As he hung on a cross under the weight of our brokenness and prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He exposed our disconnection by drawing all people to himself, even his enemies. even the ones who hated him, even the ones who killed him. He exposed our lostness when he said, I am the way. He exposed our lies when he said, I am the truth. And he exposed our death when he said, I am the life. But the exposure of our darkness comes by way of an act of empathy. It's not an act of judgment that sits on high and bangs a gavel and pronounces a verdict. It's not an act of spotlighting that leaves us standing alone and in shame. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Proximity, solidarity, humility, empathy. He comes close. He becomes one of us. He is humiliated to be with us. See, if we're willing to admit, as Neil reminded us a moment ago, that we often become too comfortable With darkness, then the fact that one steps into our darkness, one who is the light, and says, You have no more need of this darkness. This darkness is not your friend, it's not your ally, it's not good for you. It wants to swallow you up. I've seen your darkness, says Jesus. Now you have seen it. And what's more, you have seen that Jesus has seen it. This is the terrifying part. This is the terror for me of empathy. Jesus comes alongside us in our darkness, and that is grace. But then I have to admit to myself, that Jesus has seen my darkness. And that can be devastating sometimes. It's precisely because Jesus empathizes with our darkness that we can approach him. He empathizes with our weakness, knows our darkness and temptation in every way, and yet forged a different path forged a different path (laughs) than any human before or since. He forged a path out of darkness and a path to light. So Jesus' incarnational act of empathy is not one that wants to stick around and explore the darkness to get more comfortable with it. No. When it comes to Jesus' light, Exposure and empathy are not means of exploration. Jesus doesn't need to get to know our darkness. He has already seen it and knows it, but he does want us to know that he knows it, that he's not afraid of our darkness. In fact, presence, presence in the darkness is nothing new for the word who is God and who was with God in the beginning. The word with God the Father was in communion with the spirit hovering over the waters where the darkness was. And that same God maintains a presence In the darkness. In Exodus chapter 20, the people of Israel are terrified because they've been given the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And they say to Moses, Exodus 20, verse 19, Speak to us yourself and we'll listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. So the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Our God is present in the darkness. And now, now the fullness of light, that light of all humanity, the true light, the light of Jesus has come into the world. It's like a sword that pierces the heart of darkness. Like a wall of wind, it drives back any darkness in its path like a shadow disappears at noontime. There is nowhere for darkness to hide. It cannot stand anymore, for it has been overcome. Our darkness does not need exploring by Jesus, but overcoming by Jesus. So John chapter 1, verse 5 A very hopeful verse. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light exposes our darkness, empathizes with our darkness, and overcomes our darkness. But, but we still see darkness all around us. People are dying from pandemics, from heart attacks in their sleep, from war, from pain, from fear, from loneliness, from grudge holding. People are dying. Even though the fullness of the word of light has broken into our darkness even though it cannot be overcome and we believe that, the fact that we still see so much darkness around us implies that in some way that light that entered our darkness is still being unfolded, still being opened up day by day, in small, big ways. And Jesus calls us to be a part of that unfolding. If we are to embody Jesus' light, if we are to be incarnational, word came flesh, dwelt among us, if we are to be with one another in proximity, solidarity, humility, and empathy. If we are to do that, then we cannot sit in an ivory tower of self-righteousness and point at others' failures. Because we as humans, because the church as a people, as an institution, still has darkness within it and within us, We cannot simply expose darkness and move on. We can't just shine a light on things and move on. If we do that, we leave ourselves and anyone who hears us in darkness and hopelessness. So I'm not interested in coming to church and hearing that we're all sinners. That we've all got darkness in us. And then we leave it at that. Anyone with any ounce of honesty in them knows that we have darkness in us. Anyone who is willing to, a few minutes ago, to close their eyes and go on a trip with me through snatches of memories that show up when you don't want them to, knows we have darkness in us. Too often, in my experience in church, we skip from we all have darkness in us to Jesus overcomes the darkness and we completely skip this middle step of empathy. When we miss that step, we fail to embody light in the way Jesus embodied light. We need, as church, to follow Jesus' example through humility, proximity, and solidarity into empathy So I'm interested in whether my church, my community, any part of the church in any part of the world that I show up in, I'm interested in whether those people care enough to connect with one another's darkness, to sit in it, to see it and not condemn it or run away from it. to know it and not judge it. And then to point me toward the light. That's what I'm interested in. That's incarnation. That's light shining in the darkness that the darkness won't overcome. That's Jesus. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this time together. I thank you for this place and these people. I thank you that your light has broken into our lives, whether we've seen it yet or not. We pray that you would open our eyes. That it wouldn't just be darkness we were stuck in, that we were trapped in. We see the darkness. We need someone to come and see it with us and lead us out. And we trust that that is you. We also trust that we are here with one another to be a part of that leading toward the light. So give us the risk, the courage, the vulnerability, the empathy to sit with one another in darkness, that we might be together led into the light. In Jesus' name, amen.